Amen. Well, I hope you all had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. Amen. And praise God for New Year's resolutions. Right? The whole time I was eating, I was thinking, well, when January 1st comes, right? Uh, I'll have this New Year's resolution. But I praise God for Thanksgiving, praise God for each of you, and glad that you were able to come out and that the uh, Thanksgiving food did not uh, keep you uh, from being able to get out to bed this morning. Amen. As we think about the Thanksgiving holiday and as we uh, think about this time of year, uh, there are uh, many reasons why we can say that the holidays is a, a great time of blessing. But we also need to acknowledge that the holidays for, for some is a, it's a struggle. It's a problem. For some, the holidays remind and expose the fact that they are suffering with loneliness. Uh, perhaps uh, because they are in this city by themselves and their family is somewhere else and out of time and and every time the holidays come, it reminds them that they are not with family. For others, uh, this time of year can be a struggle because they are uh, just financially strapped. And uh, most of us, if not all of us, knows how that feels to desire, to want something, and to uh, have a certain meal or get something for our kids, and, and money just won't allow us to. For others, this time of the year is a real challenge simply uh, because it reminds us of those who we lost. There's an emptiness, there's a void present because we are reminded about a loved one, someone who was close to us, that they are no longer present. All of these things are, are barriers and they can hurt us and, and maybe even hinder us from being thankful or from enjoying the holidays. However, there is one major issue that all of us in some way has struggled with before, and if we're honest today, that many of us struggle with now. And this issue doesn't just make for a bad Thanksgiving or a, a bad holiday. This issue makes for a bad thanks living. What is the issue? What is the barrier? Well, Proverbs 14 to 30, which will be our main verse today and our only verse, it tells us the barrier tells us the issue. In Proverbs 14 and 30, the, the writer of Proverbs, as he is giving principles for life for his children that should uh, go on, practical acts of uh, practical, practical sayings of wisdom, says these words, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A tranquil heart, a healthy heart, a peaceful heart, a serene heart, a content heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy is the great barrier to a thankful heart. And today we want to talk about this barrier, envy. Envy is a great barrier to a thankful heart. What is envy? Well, the Dictionary of Bible Things defines it this way. Envy is a desire for another's gifts, possessions, position of 
or achievements. It is often closely associated with jealousy and covetousness. And all of these words are really like cousins and they all can rob us for being thankful. Joseph Hall says there are three causes of ingratitude, evil, pride, and covetousness. Thomas Aquinas gives perhaps the the best definition of envy that, that I have found. He says, envy is sorrow at another's good. And I said, it is sad. It is being sad because someone else got hooked up. Because someone else got a blessing that we want. And I believe that that definition of Envy is, is close to the Hebrew word that we see being used here in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, kinal. It is to be sorrowful, but not just sorrowful. It is almost to be passionate and sorrowful at the fact that someone else has been blessed. When I was serving at another church, I'll never forget one a Wednesday midweek Bible study. I was leading the worship service and there was a a young lady there who was really excited and doing our testimony part of the worship service. She announced to the congregation that she had just received a promotion on her job. And as a result, the Lord was meeting some very specific needs. And as she gave this emotional testimony, the, the claps of all who were around her rose and we all said, praise God. But as the claps were lowering, another voice was becoming higher. It was the voice of another member and the voice of her friend. And this young woman literally shouted during the middle of this testimony service, why you? I want a promotion. Why don't I ever get blessed? In essence, that's envy. Envy is being sad because someone else received what we think we deserve. And the truth is, is that all of us have experienced envy in our heart at one time or another. In fact, I believe that we currently are living in the most envious generation ever. With the internet, social media, with sites like Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, we are constantly seeing other people at their best. And we are constantly being given visions of a life that is not reality. And as we interact with these media forms, we can find ourselves easily depressed and confused and down because Satan has sold us a lie. Be envious in heart. Is really to have a heart of entitlement. A heart that begins to tell us lies like, I deserve the blessing that this person got. And I'm better than him or her. Why didn't I get it? Our heart often lies to us and, and, and causes us with rage to say, why doesn't God ever look out for me? Why doesn't he do good by me? Envy makes it difficult for us to rejoice. And let's be honest, we've all at some point or another had that gut response that, that hinders us from rejoicing with others. You know, a friend shows up and they show you their grades from this last semester. 
And they're excited because they got high honors, and you think to yourself, I could have got high honors too if I took the classes you took. You know, that rebel, that womanizing co-worker of yours who meets the girls of his dreams and gets engaged, but you are left wanting to be married. Envy shows up when your sister gets a brand new Apple computer and she doesn't even have a job. Envy makes it hard to rejoice when a member of your Sunday school class, children are quoting their Bibles in Greek and your children are just discovering words like shut up and boogers. And they like to aim it at adults. Thomas Maine made an interesting observation when he said, we are always most vulnerable to envying those closest to our gifts and our callings. Musicians generally envy musicians, not politicians. Politicians, other politicians. Sports people, other sports people. Professors, other professors. And ministers, other ministers. As we used to say back in the day, those are the realest words I've ever heard. We often envy people who are in a similar position than we are, or who are near in our proximity. Envy thrives and survives off of a ungodly competition. You know, it's possible that your marriage is not as bad as you make it out to be. It's possible that the reason that you are more miserable in your marriage than ever before is that it's, it's not necessarily bad, it's just not theirs. It's not your BFF's marriage. After all, your BFF just came back from Tokyo and has 19 children and counting and is always posting about how great things look. Envy can make us miserable. And that's really the heart of envy. The heart of envy is that we mourn over the fact that we don't have what someone else had. It's not that God hasn't been good to us. It's just in our estimation, God hasn't been good as good to us as he is to someone else. C.S. Lewis writes, pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud to be rich, or clever, or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, or cleverer, or better-looking than others. The text teaches us two truths this morning about envy that will help us extinguish envy and live with thanksgiving. The first thing that the text teaches us is this. Envy is a heart issue. Envy is a heart issue. Issue. Look at your Bibles, Proverbs 14 and 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. It's a heart issue. Envy is spiritual heart disease. A healthy heart, a content heart, the text says, gives life to the flesh. To paraphrase, it says that a healthy spirit is the life of the body. A spirit that is not envious brings about physical and spiritual flourishing. Listen, envy in the heart, it leads to worry and it leads to anxiety. 
That's why some of us are so stressed out. It's because we're looking at what others have and it's causing us to worry about things that we ought to not worry about. So you said, don't worry about tomorrow what you will eat or what you will drink. For sufficient for today is today's trouble. But we often worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink, not because God has not provided, but because we're looking at how he's provided for someone else. Worry, literally, in the Greek means to be strangled. It means to be strangled, and envy gets us to a place of worrying, and it strangles us. A healthy heart, a heart of contentment does the opposite of strangle us. It freezes. The text shows that it frees us not only physically, but it frees us spiritually as well. It is holistic. It, it frees us in both capacities. It frees us from bitterness and back pain. It frees us from a thought life that is spiraling out of control as well as physical headaches. A healthy heart frees us from high blood pressure because we know that the blood of Jesus has redeemed us. Henry Smith says, envy is sin and it punishes itself like gluttony for it fears, it sets fear in the heart, it shorteneth the light, life and it eateth the flesh. Envy is sin, it punishes itself like gluttony for it sets fear in the heart, it shortens the life and it eats the flesh. In line with Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we must guard our hearts from envy with all vigilance. Envy comes from the heart, and it is a besetting sin. In fact, in Matthew, in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, we read Jesus' words. Listen to what Jesus says. What comes out of the heart of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Listen to what he says. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Envy, like every other sin, is evil. Being sad because things are going well for someone else is evil. Pridely speaking in our heart when someone gets blessed that it should have been me because I'm better than them is evil. You must understand that the Bible says that envy Envy is a mark of us living in the flesh and not in the spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy... Envy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? When we indulge in envy, we indulge in the flesh. 
In fact, Galatians chapter 5 verse 21 lists a a whole bunch of other sins, just like Mark chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says this, it says, envy is the work of the flesh. When we are envious of someone else, it is because we have forsaken the Lord in our heart. It is because we are not living in the spirit, but rather we are living a self-focused and self-centered life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 says that love does not envy or boast. When we envy a loved one, when we envy a cousin, a sister, a co-worker, it makes it impossible for us to love them in a spirit-filled way. Second point in this text is envy causes problems and pain. Look at your Bibles. Text says, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy makes the bones rot. Maybe even more, put it in today's term, envy eats us up. Envy is cancerous and it consumes us. John Christendom said, like a mouth consumes a garment, so does envy consume our hearts. Like a moth consumes a garment, so does envy consume our heart. Envy is dangerous. And it's dangerous for a number of reasons. Number one, envy is dangerous because envy leads to death. It leads to to murder. It was Envy that was in the heart of Cain in Genesis chapter 4 that caused him to kill his own brother. You remember the story, or perhaps you, you don't. But Abel made a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord, and, and Cain got envious in his heart that his sacrifice was not accepted, and he killed his own brother, which goes to James chapter 4, verse 1. Why are there fights and why are there quarrels among you? Is it not this you desire, that's envy, and you do not have, so you murder. Envy leads to murder. And if not physical murder, it leads to the type of murder that Jesus talked about. The type of murder that is anger-filled and that causes us to call other people raka or fools. He murdered them by pulling down their spirit. you know that envy is the sin that was used to offer Jesus up on the cross? In Mark chapter 15, verse 10, it says, For he, speaking of Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him, Jesus, up. Pilate perceived and he he noticed that the reason that the, the religious leaders of the day were Delivering Jesus up to him was because they were envious. They were sad at his success. Which this week, which caused me to ponder and ask the question, if I was a religious leader, if I was a rabbi, if I was a Pharisee during that day, would I have yelled, crucify him because of remnants of envy? Augustine, the African theologian, said, Envy and hatred try to pierce our neighbor with a sword, 
but the blade cannot reach him unless it first passed through our own body. When we envy others, we cut ourselves. Envy also destroys families. Envy was in the heart of Joseph's brothers as his brothers sold him into slavery. I've got a number of other examples, but as you read throughout the biblical narrative, just notice how many families are brought into turmoil because of envy. Envy also makes us delusional. There's a story in the Bible of a king by the name of Saul who had a a understudy or someone who was serving him by the name of David. And when David began to have success, it made Saul delusional, so delusional to the point that he sought to murder and to kill David. So delusional that even though David kept having a one-up on him, he continued to try to kill him. It makes us delusional. Not only does it make us delusional, envy makes us depressed and discouraged. In Psalm chapter 73, we meet a man by the name of Asaph. And Asaph is writing a psalm and he's telling a story about how he almost slipped and how he almost fell. And he says that he almost slipped and he almost fell because he began to envy those who were wicked. Go home and read the psalm. You'll see that throughout the psalm, he's talking about how well the wicked have it, but yet they don't even serve the Lord. And then in Psalm 73, we read in verse 13 that Asaph, if he concludes this, he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Because he was envying the wicked, he began to look at his life and become discouraged and said, I have kept my heart pure for nothing. Some of us, we are deeply depressed because we have our eyes set on everyone else and what it appears they have rather than the Lord. And it kills gratitude. And we want to learn to extinguish envy so that we can have hearts that is flowing with thanksgiving. Envy also dismisses us from heaven. A person whose life is marked by constant envy And habitual, unrepentant envy is probably a person that has not been renewed by the Lord. When we give into envy without fighting or struggling or ever confessing it as a sin, it may be because we weren't born again. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 21, Paul lists a number of different sins that have made people slaves. And he says, none of those who practice these things will enter into the kingdom of God. And once again, envy is there. Here's what I've learned. Behind sins like envy and bitterness and jealousy, at the very root of it, is us believing that God has got it wrong. The person you're bitter with, at the end of that root of bitterness, is you believing that God has gotten something wrong and that he's allowed this to happen. 
In Genesis chapter 37, we see Joseph who has had a number of traumatic events in his life. He's sold into slavery, a very hard type of slavery by his brothers. Then he's thrown into prison and he's forgotten and left there. But after all the trauma that happens, Joseph is able to forgive and able to love his brothers because he has the right perspective of God. He says what Satan meant for evil, God meant for the good. And we like to change that and say, what well, Satan meant for evil, God turned it. No, God meant it from the good. That was God's plan A. And at the end, at the end of envy, at the end of jealousy, at the end of covetousness, is not trusting that God knows what he's doing. That he can use your pain for your gain. And that there's a purpose in your broken. Envy is a denial of God's sovereignty and providence. Here's a word of encouragement for, for us who, us's who struggle with envy. A word of encouragement is that envy, if you are in Christ, will not win. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 2 says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Why do you say envy will not win? Did you hear the first two words? Put away. Which means that as Christians, we have received the power that we need to be godly. That we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Because we have a risen Savior, are no longer slaves to any sin and any emotion. And that God has set us free. Titus chapter 3, 3, we read similar words. Titus says, we were once foolish. And then he lists other sins once again. And then he says, and envious. That should give us hope. He said, we were once Envy can be your I once was testimony. When, as Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2 says, when we set our hearts on the things that are above and not on the things that are below. So, what is the cure for an envious heart? We're almost done. What is the cure for an envious heart? What, What do we do to extinguish envy? so that we would be able to extend gratefulness and thanksgiving when other people are blessed. What, what do we need to do? Well, the first we need, thing we need to do is we need to repent. We need to repent and we need to turn and treasure Jesus. And even if you find envy in your heart and you don't remember these few things I'm going to give you, just remember, I need to treasure Jesus. Not stuff, not these images of everyone on social media, just. (laughs) I need to treasure Jesus. To repent means to make a a mental U-turn. Just as you make a a U-turn in your vehicle, to to repent means to make a U-turn in your mind. It means that you agree with God that your sin is evil. 
that you agree with God that envy isn't just something that you can overlook and something that's just going to disappear when you want it to, but that envy is a crippling sin as all sin is. Even the littlest of sin, John Piper says, is able to start an avalanche. You fight envy. You repent of envy and you turn to Jesus and you fight it. Just like you would when you feel a a cold coming on, when your throat begins to get a little itchy and and scratchy, what do we do? We begin to fight. We begin to, to uproot it. We begin to do everything we can to make ourselves better. The same way is true. We repent and we turn and we treasure Jesus and we fight against the spiritual cold. That's the first thing we do as Christians. But if you're a non-believer here today, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that envy is not your biggest issue. Unbelief is. Envy is, is not the first thing that you need to repent in. What you, what, we, what you need to repent from is not believing that Jesus is who he said he is and that he can do what he says he will do, that Jesus is not only Lord and, and Savior, but that one day he's coming back to judge the world. Confess that you are a sinner and that you cannot change yourself. Confess that you are weak and that you do not deserve heaven in and of yourself, and run to Jesus and find refuge. The Bible says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, that Jesus will not charge us and hold our sin and our unbelief against us. When we confess our sins and we turn and and trust Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus gives us a, a new record. He gives us his righteousness. He exchanged our old record of lying and and cheating and being mischievous. and, And he gives us his perfect, clean, sinless record. And he takes our record with him into the grave and he buries it there. And he raises us with power to overcome it. Turn to Jesus. Look to him by faith. Non-Christian, you cannot fight envy or any other sin in your own strength. Don't believe Satan's lie that you're going to clean yourself up and then give your life to Jesus. You cannot clean yourself up no more than a pig or a horse or a dog can clean themselves up. Why? Why? Because we're not strong enough. We need an outside source. We need Jesus. The second way that we defeat envy, that we destroy it in our heart, is, is we find contentment in what God the Father has given us. And we store it for God's glory. So we repent and we turn to Jesus We confess that we are sinners in need of salvation and we confess his help and then we find contentment in God the Father. And we store, we begin to store what God has given us. Billy Graham once said that envy takes the joy and happiness and contentment out of living. Envy takes the joy, the happiness, and the contentment out of living. We 
Seek to find contentment in God and not other things. First Timothy chapter six, verse six through eight reads. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. The word content there means to be satisfied with what we have. Paul tells Timothy, that young minister, to find contentment. And when you find contentment, you will find great gain in godliness. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't desire to grow. It doesn't mean that you don't have goals. It doesn't mean that you don't seek to progress and put your family in a better position that you are. It just means that you don't lust after it. And you don't make it your God. It means that you put Jesus before those things and you trust that he is in control of your life and he will bring you into the blessings that he will bring you into. He will open a door that no man will open and he will close a door that no man will close when we are following after him. And seeking balance. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16 says, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Rejoice always and, and pray without ceasing. As we are fighting contentment, as we are fighting discontentment and we are fighting for contentment, we want to have a, a thankful heart that is rejoicing always. A thankful heart that is able to to look to God with a deep trust and say, Lord, I may not be where I want to be, but I'm with you. So as we look at what the Lord has given us, we can rejoice and we need to pray constantly that the Lord would help us to stop lusting over someone else's possession, someone else's position, someone else's achievement. And we need to steward what God has given us. Steward the free time that God has given you as a single. Steward the family that God has given you, the husband and wife as a married person, and stop wishing you were single. Steward the education that you do have. Stop complaining and say, well, if only I had been living in better advantage, I would have been a better person. Steward what you do have. You got an eighth grade education, steward it well. High school stewarded well, college stewarded well. Take care of what God has entrusted you with because he can take whatever state or education you have and use it for his glory. Steward where God has called you to live. You may not have a, a big house or mansion, but maximize the, the, the space that you do have. If it's a a thousand feet, maximize it for the glory of God. Make sure every inch in that house is prayed over and anointed and inviting and hospitable. Steward it. Don't complain about the thousand feet you don't have. Steward what you do have because there's someone else who doesn't have a foot that they can call their own. Because regardless, if that was us, God is still good. Steward it. One of the roots to our envy is a lie. 
And it's the same lie that Satan told Eve. It's a lie that tells us that God is withholding something good from us because God is evil. But we've got to remind ourselves constantly that God is not evil and that that is a lie that Jesus came into the world to expose Satan's lies and to shine the truth on the father's character. Jesus revealed to us that the father withholds no good thing for us. That he gives us what we need. That he does not give us a stone for fish. That he does not give us a scorpion instead of an egg. But that in light of Romans 8 and 31, that if the father has given us Jesus, his only son, then what else will he give us? Will he not give us all things? Think that one of the ways that we, we steward This and we find contentment is by embracing who God has made you to be. What will we be like if we stop looking at who everyone else was and we start embracing our own specific and unique DNA? First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells the church of Corinth to embrace their spiritual gift. He says, all these spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. God has gifted you in a very specific way. It is not by accident that you have the gift that you have. Maybe you haven't discovered your gift. So let's go and let's discover your gift. In January, we'll be doing a series from 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts and and how to discover it and how to steward it and how to maximize it. But know that if you are a believer, that God has left you a supernatural gift, a gift that can be used to draw other people to Jesus. Embrace what God has made you and how he has gifted you. Embrace how God has shaped you and formed you. Christian, Psalm 139 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God intricately made us. And God, as my mama used to say, he don't make junk. My wife and I, In order to minister to my daughter, we know that this world and the times that we're living in, they're they're pushing a a false and demonic vision of beauty. So we often talk to Nia and we say, Nia, did you know that you were beautiful? She says, yes, I know that I'm beautiful. Nia, why are you beautiful? Because God made me just the way I am. And as parents, we want to teach our children and shepherd our children's hearts so that they know that there is a heavenly creator who has made them in a very specific way and God does not make junk. And we want to define beauty on God's standards and not on the standards of some sick, evil, demented human being who puts women on magazines and then who airbrushes them and who changes their shape in order to get other people to be drawn to. We've got to find our purpose in Christ. And when we find our purpose in Christ and our contentment in Christ and when we allow what Christ says about us to be 
what matters most, we can go to war against envy even better. We need our minds renewed. Do not be conformed to the image, to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to to what the world says is success. The world says success, Mark chapter 10, success is having people serve you and people think that you're great and and people stand straight when they see you coming and get nervous because you're such an accomplished person. Jesus says that's crap, that's baloney, that's dirt. Paul says it's dung. Jesus says the greatest among you is the one who serves others. That's true greatness. That's true greatness. You know, when we get to heaven, God is not going to ask us how we compared to someone else. But he is going to ask us, were we faithful with what he gave us? Did we maximize ourselves for his glory? Third and final, I'm going to rush through this. It's not only do we need to repent and turn to Jesus, not only do we need to cultivate a heart of contentment and store what God has given us, but finally, we need to change our diets. We need a a healthy diet. As I said earlier, envy is a heart issue. And experts say that 95% of heart disease is preventable. 95%. And the Bible says that many of our heart issues are preventable as well. And just like our natural hearts, our spiritual hearts is affected by our diet. It is affected by what we eat and we ought to eat well. We ought to set our eyes on Jesus and feast on him. Psalm 19 and 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's by guarding it according to your word. Baptize Brother Robinson today. Brother Robinson, fight envy, fight sin as a young man by cherishing God's word. That's your diet. In fact, Psalm 119 verse 120 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God is sweet. It's enjoyable. Jeremiah 15, 6 says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. When we delight in God's word, we see God for who he is. We see that he is a giver of good things. We see that he is majestic and beautiful and wonderful. And rather than worship ourselves and build our own kingdoms and compare ourselves to others, we want to fall to the feet of Jesus and this God that is revealed in scripture and fall at his feet and say, you and you alone are worthy to be praised. You and you alone are worthy to be exalted. You and you alone are worthy to be magnified. You and you alone are a perfect father that knows exactly what I need. And even though I may not have what I need, I trust that you are a perfect giver. And that you don't make mistakes. If I grew up in the hood, I grew up in the hood because you want to be glorified by me knowing those hood experiences and being able to reach people with that perspective. And after all, wasn't Jesus born in Nazareth? Wasn't Jesus born in the area of uh, of Palestine where people said that nothing good comes out of it? Stop looking at where you were born and start doing what God has called you to do. 
And he can use you to put Nazareth on the map. Did not Jesus put Nazareth on the map? What was Bethlehem before Jesus came? He can do it. Oh, he can do it. He can do it. Delight yourself in his word. Eat and feast upon it. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2, each speak of envy and say that envy is immaturity and the solution to uprooting our immaturity, both times they say, is the word of God moving from milk to meat. Our hearts will not uproot the sin that so easily besets us if we do not get in the book, not Facebook, but the book. The Bible, the one that's God breathed, the one that Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says is the word of God and that is living and active and sharper than two and any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul, of the spirit, of the joints and the marrow. Listen, discerning the thoughts. Oh Lord, we need you to discern our thoughts. I need you to discern my thoughts. Expose my thoughts, expose my pride, expose my envy. Speak to it, expose it, remove it, and then stitch me back up. And then heal that womb and allow it to become a testimony. We need you at Forest Baptist Church, Lord, to help us to be a church that loves and that does not envy. Help us not to be duped by Satan the one who is over principalities and who is the ruler of the air. Help us not to fall into the trap as we scroll through our phones and see everyone seeming to be happy. Help us to know that it is a facade and that we all are struggling and we all are in a fight and it is a good fight and that trials come upon everyone and that the life that you have given us right where we are is beautiful in your sight. You've called us to suffer, and those who suffer will one day reign with you. And we will say this light, momentary affliction does not compare. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither has it entered into our hearts what you have prepared for us. Help us not to envy over cars and and homes, knowing that one day you will give us a home that's custom made and we'll walk on streets of gold. Why? Not because gold is so precious in heaven, but because gold is so dispensable. It's like concrete to us. Because God has far more treasures for us. Heaven is more, not less. More opportunity to enjoy him, not less. Jesus is far more satisfying than the praise of man. Jesus is far more satisfying than whatever your heart tries to envy. Look to your resurrected Savior and find peace. Amen. I want to ask our deacons and our pastors to come forth as we continue in worship.